How you doing this morning? Well, you better be awake by now. If you're fanning yourself in Minnesota November, that means you had a good worship service. Oh, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Party our way to victory. That's what we're doing here. So I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. It's really good to be sharing this moment with all of you. Uh, and I hope that you have really felt the love and the joy of the Holy Spirit in this place. We're in a series here called 4D Love, 4 Directional Love, covering the, all the bases of what we're supposed to do as kingdom people. We're, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself, and together we're to take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. That was our first mandate back in Genesis. And we're, we're using this thing called attachment theory uh, as, as kind of a grid to look at these four relationships. And it's just a tool um, it, it, it's good at, I think, doing one thing, and that is helping us find or flush out uh, areas where maybe we have obstacles to relationships. And so we're kind of using attachment theory throughout this whole thing. And the basic idea is that, according to attachment theory, we come into this world, and this is, I think, a very biblical concept. We come into this world very needy. Uh, we need to know we're wired such that we long for an environment where we're cared for. And Kevin last week in an outstanding, insightful way, uh, laid out the acronym of CARE in, in attachment theory. CARE. C is for commitment. We need to know that, that there are people who are committed to us and that we're worth being committed to. And we, know that, we need to know that there are people who are attentive, uh, aware of our situation, and care about our situation. And we need to know that they're responsive, that they're able to do something about it, and we'll be there to meet our needs. And we need to know that we'll be empowered to be all we can be. And we also come into this world asking the question, are we worthy of love? And to the degree that we get that need met, to the degree that we feel like we're cared for, and, and we feel as though we're worth loving, that's communicated to us, we're secure as kids in our relationships with our parents, and we tend to carry that security onto our other relationships. But to the degree that our need for care was not met, and maybe you even got the opposite of care, maybe you even got abuse, uh, and to the degree that was communicated to you that you're not worth loving. To that degree, we grow up insecure. We're insecure in that relationship, and so we carry that insecurity on with us. And it can manifest itself either as uh, a, a fear of intimacy, you want to avoid intimacy because the meaning of intimacy is pain, or it could be that you're anxious about it. You crave intimacy, but you're always anxious. You're, there's no security there. You can't get enough of it. You tend to suffocate people. And see, we, we carry that pattern, that style of relationality that we develop at a very young age. Your basic worldview in terms of how you feel as a kid, whether you're secure or not, that's usually formed by the age of five. And, uh, and, and so we, we carry that over into our relationship with God. And so people can have a secure relationship with God, but they can also have an avoidant or an anxious relationship with God, um, depending on kind of what style they have developed. And to the people who have this, you don't know that you have this. Whatever your relationship with God, it feels normal to you. If you've been at it for a while, it feels normal. But that doesn't mean it's not dysfunctional. Whatever you do feels normal because you've always done it. But it could be very well the case that what you call normal is actually quite screwed up. And so you can have an avoidant or an anxious relationship with God. Sometimes you can tell whether a person is, has an anxious or an avoidant relationship with God by their prayers. Or at least the way they talk to God can, can tip their, their hat a little bit to kind of what their relationship with God is like. So I'll, let's listen to a couple of prayers and see if you can sense whether it's avoidant or, or anxious. All right, let's listen to them. 
God, why didn't you prevent this cancer? And why won't you heal it now? Where are you when I need you? Lord, please don't leave me to face this world alone. I know I'm only one of your billions of children, but please hear my prayer. I promise you, Jesus, I won't screw this up again. This time it will be different. Just please, please stay by my side. Jesus, I have risked my heart and been hurt so many times. My wounds are so deep, maybe I'm just broken. How could you love someone like me? I don't think I'll ever be whole again. God, I know that you are all loving and that everything happens for your glory. But Heavenly Father, please don't let my precious baby get sick. Lord, you know I've been an addict for a long time, and I trust you're delivering me when the time is right. I don't know why this is so hard, but I know that you're still on the throne. All right, what do you think about that? Um, see, it seems to me that, that all of them could be classified as anxious in certain respects. Certainly that, that the lady who is you know, asking God, I know I'm just one of your billion, but please don't let me go through life alone. I mean, that's, that, that's an anxious person there. Uh, they don't trust that God is always going to be there. They, they, they have to ask for it. And, and, and they think that God's love is kind of thinned out by the number of people God has to love. And so there's a, there's a real lack of trust there, which makes the person very anxious. The last guy, but the addict who says, you know, oh, you'll take it away in your timing. I'm inclined to think that that's probably an avoidant person. Uh, oftentimes when people have a philosophy that God's going to do whatever God's going to do, it's a really convenient way for not dealing with anything. That's a nice thing. If God's in control, if it's all God's timing, well, then you've got nothing to do with it, so why worry? Uh, I suspect that Calvinism is a good hideout for people who are avoidant. It's like tailor-made. Uh, everything's predestined. Everything's pre-fit. You don't have to work through you know, anything relationally. Uh, at least a person could take it like that. So we have this, this, this uh, we take into our relation with God baggage that until we take care of that, it's going to hinder our relationship with God. Now, I'm going to talk more about that in a second, but I, I'm going to do a little pre-sermon here before my big sermon, the, before the meaty sermon, all right? This is a, the pre-sermon. And as you know from experience, if you've been here for, oh, I guess more than three weeks, sometimes my pre-sermons are better than my sermons. So you want to listen up on this, all right? Because here's the thing, and then this is in response to a couple of questions I got, a couple of concerns uh, about attachment theory. Attachment theory is a good tool. Uh, Generally speaking, it's the case that the way a child is raised and the degree to which their, their, their need for care is met, uh, generally speaking, it's true that that person will carry that security into the relationships. And also holds true that insofar as, the, generally speaking, insofar as the needs are not met, you're going to carry insecurity into your future relationships. And that's generally true. But reality is always more complex than any theory can grasp. The complexity of reality always outruns theories. So we never turn a theory into a formula. Okay, that's a really important point. Uh, because as, as influential as parents and other caregivers are at the early, early stages of a child's development, there are other factors that influence the direction that that life takes. So, for example, genes. I'm here to tell you that the human gene pool is very diverse, and two couples can get together, and they have a very diverse gene pool. And, of course, it's kind of a lottery thing in terms of what, what genes come together. But it can happen that you can have the very same parents doing the same parenting, same parenting skills, exactly the same way for two different kids, and the two different kids turn out very, very different. Very different. And so it clearly has nothing to do with parenting. Uh, it has to do with, among other things, what did you inherit genetically? Genes can be very different. On top of that, there's this thing called free will. 
Now, most about you, most of what's true about you, you didn't choose. But within the big realm of things that you didn't choose about yourself, there is a domain of things you can choose. You have a degree of say-so. And your degree of say-so, every moment is, is rather small. But you play that out over a lifetime, and that's a lot of say-so. And the, the choices you make set your life in a certain direction. And the longer you go in that direction, the, the more likely it is that you'll stay in that direction. And that direction can be in a secure direction, but it can also be in an insecure direction. So you can free will your way into an insecure relationship. Uh, you don't have to inherit it. And so there's two takeaways from this. Knowing that there's other variables that affect what comes to pass in a person's life. And I just named two of them there, genes and free will. But the two implications are this. Number one, if you're a parent and you have a child that is in prison or just didn't turn out the way you were hoping they'd turn out, at least not yet, don't spend the rest of your life beating yourself up over your poor parenting skills if you, if, if you think you had the poor parent. Don't beat yourself up, up over that fact. Um, it may be, that, in fact, I'm sure of it, that you were not a perfect parent. None of us are. Uh, and maybe you were far from a perfect parent. Maybe there's things you need to ask forgiveness for. Maybe there's some things you've got to work through. That's fine. But it's not God's will for you to try to atone for your poor parenting skills by feeling miserable the rest of your life. And I've met parents who do that. Oh, if only we had been more of this. If only we had this. If only blah, 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 blah. And you beat yourself up the rest of your life over an if only. That's not God's plan for you. No, no. Look at the past. Learn from the past. Forgive what needs to be forgiven. Work through it. But then move on. Move on. And, and there are other variables. Just know that you, you don't know the degree to which your, your parenting influenced your child um, or how it, how, how, it could, how, how it could have gone differently. Uh, you can't know that. And so you're taking maybe too much on yourself by thinking that's all your fault. Look at uh, Bart Campolo, great guy. I know him. Um, he was raised by Tony Campolo and Tony Campolo's wife. I forget her name. Anyone know Tony Campolo's wife? Judy? Is it Judy? Anyone here know Tony No one knows Tony Campolo's wife. Uh, Mrs. Campolo, if you're listening, I apologize. I don't remember your name. I think I met you once, but is it Carol? Or Never mind. It doesn't matter. I would think that these are passionate, passionate Christians. I think they, 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 they get the kingdom right. I would think, now I don't know this, of course, but, but I would think that that'd be pretty close to an ideal home to be raised in. Woohoo! Um, he declared himself to be an atheist a couple of years ago. And now he does, he's running this humanist organization or whatever. Um, he's he's anti-religious. On the other hand, take someone like Dan Kent, who spoke up here a couple of weeks ago, or take me, for example. We had non-ideal upbringings. Uh, both of us, he was raised with a mom and he pretty much cared for himself from the age of seven on. And I, I you know, you know about my story with my stepmother and my dad. He's an anti-Christian and had the morality ethics of a fruit fly. And, 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 and so not, they're not ideal circumstances. And yet, look, uh, here we're, we both turn out to be Christians. We are uh, teachers in the kingdom. And, and while Dan sells issues to work through, I'm totally normal. And so, hallelujah, I'm here to tell you. The parents are not a perfect predictor of what the kids are going to be. It's just, uh, it, there, there's just a lot of diversity. So parents, don't beat yourself up on this. The second imp implication of this is this. Children, and we are all children, do not blame all your screwed upness on your parents. Amen. Somebody say amen, right? Amen. And I know that's a fad these days. It's, it's kind of the thing. Uh, in fact, I, I read one guy who defined contemporary therapy, and this is a caricature, of course, but uh, contemporary therapy as the quest to find out how your parents screwed you up. Uh, it's more than that, but it's kind of in vogue these days. I, I've even heard of kids who are suing their parents for doing such a poor job. <laughs> Lord, help us. If, if that catches on, we're all, we're all goners. Um, no, so, so it, it's, uh, um, 
Here's the thing. I, I'm sure it wasn't ideal. I'm sure your parents weren't perfect. Maybe they were far from perfect. Maybe, maybe it was terrible. Maybe you didn't have any parents at all. Um, and you'll need to work through that. That's a, that's a tough thing to inherit, but I'm here to tell you. Look, at, you're not responsible for what's done to you. You're not at all responsible for what was done to you. But you are responsible for what you, how you respond to what was done to you. And I'm telling you, if your response to what was done to you, however terrible it was, if your response is to live in a victim mentality, a blame game sort of thing, you are digging yourself into a serious psychological and emotional hole that's going to get very hard to get out of. Uh, look at, look at, if you're a believer, it, it, it may have been terrible, it may have been just God-awful, but if you're a believer, you're not defined by the God-awful. You're not defined by the past. You're not defined by mom or dad or what the boyfriend did or the girlfriend did or the accident that happened or the bus driver or the rapist or whatever. You're not defined by that. That's your old self. That's the self you inherited from this fallen world. All right? But in Christ, you've got to know that you're not identified with that old self. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen? And, and, and in Christ... Uh, you, 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 you can do all things through him who strengthens you. You're a child of the king. You're filled with his spirit. You're filled with his righteousness. You're no one's victim. You're a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's the narrative you want to live in. That's the narrative you want to live in. The victim thing disempowers you. The kingdom narrative empowers you. So don't blame it all on your parents. And parents, don't blame it all on yourself. And there's the end of my mini pre-sermon. Now let's get to the meat. Oh, is that okay? Is that okay? Well... I just, some parents were kind of like beating themselves up. Is that right? It's all my fault? Yes, it's all your fault. So here's the passage that we're kind of hovering around in the series. Matthew 22. I'm just now starting to not sweat. Thank you for turning down the heat. That was just a dance party, wasn't it? That was just too fun. That, that's, see, I just think the kingdom is a party. Jesus uses the party metaphor all the time. Uh, we we got to get better at partying. I, that was a party. Okay, so... They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. But the second is like it. And what he's saying there is, I can't mention the first without mentioning the second because they go hand in hand. And that is, you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. If you do the one, you do the other. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So here Jesus is saying that we're... we're all of our love, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, every part of us is to be loving God. And what he's saying there is, is we're to be bonding with God in the strongest possible way. And this is the most important thing, he says. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first to live under the dome in which God is king. And that presupposes that we're bonding with God. Okay? This is the linchpin of God's whole plan for creation. Remember, we laid it out the first week here that in God's plan, God wants to pour God's life into us, God's love into us, God's care into us to the point where we're secure in that relationship and then we actually overflow in love towards others. Uh, we love others as ourselves, and then we together take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. So, so God's triune love gets, gets, gets reflected throughout the creation and that's someday, that, that's how it will look. Um, but the linchpin to this whole thing is our relationship with God. We, we can't overflow, as Kevin said last week, we can't give what we ain't got. You've got to get the love before you can give the love. And so the linchpin is our bonding with God, our attachment with God. Now, I, I like the analogy that Kevin used last week. Uh, he, he talked about Velcro. Bonding is like Velcro. And I, I happen to have a Velcro thing here. This is my, my back brace. 
uh, that I use whenever my back is getting achy, which it does on occasion. And it, it, it functions with Velcro. So here you got the sticky part, and here you got the part that gets stuck onto. And so you put this over here, and you take it around like this, and oh, as tight as you can, and put this one as hard as you can around here, and go like this. And man, it just feels so good. It takes the pressure off the back. It feels wonderful, all that. But now here's the thing. Um, I've had this for five, six years, and I've never washed it. Uh, <laughs> And so things get caught in there. And I don't know, I, I, are you supposed to wash Velcro? Doesn't that ruin it? I would think it, see, look at all that stuff that's in there. <laughs> like, what is that? I don't even know what that, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so this thing that gets stuck in here. I've never washed it. Um, but it, but it, it, over time, the, the, the stickiness gets, gets, gets filled with stuff. So it's not sticking as good anymore. And last week I was on uh, traveling, and whenever I travel, I wear this because my back is sore sometimes when I travel. And I didn't know it, but this thing had kind of unvelcroed and was down like this the whole time. And I'm walking through the airport with a tail. <laughs> I'm happy to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and I, worse, I didn't know it was doing that until I sat on the toilet and it went in the water. So I got a, I got, I got a, a Velcro back thing that's full of junk. It's never been washed, but it has been dunked in the toilet. Would you hang on to that for me? <laughs> Hold on to that for me, please. It's not that bad. It's not like I sweat a lot or anything. <laughs> okay, that thing's got to be so oh, Yeah, okay, I, I will get a new one or wash it. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's how, here's how the Velcro works. Uh, show the picture that Kevin showed last week. So that Velcro thing is made of little hooks. And those hooks, when you put it on the receiving pad, there's all these loops there, and the, the hooks are supposed to hook the loops, and that's how it sticks. And it, it will, it, it, the, the Velcro will be as strong as those hooks are in those loops. And Kevin was using that analogy uh, to sort of explain how it illustrate. Attachment theory, which says that we come into this world with hooks, with needs, with questions. Are we worth loving? Are we cared for? Are we in a safe environment? And to the degree that the, the hooks find loops in the parents and others who love that child, the child feels secure. But insofar as you don't find those hooks, uh, you're, 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 you're going to feel insecure and you'll carry a, a, an avoidant or an anxious kind of style into your future relationships. To the degree that you're secure, the, the, the hooks are in, you're secure to the degree that they're not, they're not secure. The thing is, we carry that over to our relationship with God, inevitably. Um, in fact, there's studies that have shown this. This is not news to anybody, but unless we are intentionally not doing this, we will automatically project certain aspects of our parenting, of our parents, onto God. It's inevitable. And some of that's by divine design, because in God's plan, parents were supposed to model God to us, until we were old enough to now have our own relationship with God. But we're wired to look to our parents to find out what God is like. And that works great if you had outstanding parents. Wonderful. Uh, it's e very easy for you to imagine a very loving, uh, heavenly parent. But for those who have not had that, it can make it much more challenging. Uh, when I look back at my view of God growing up, um, I know my view of God was strictly male because that's all we were given. But actually, my view of God growing up, as I look back on it, was a spitting image of my stepmother. And of other authorities in my life. Mother Superior, whose office I was sent to quite a bit in Catholic school. And, and all the nuns, actually, to this day, if a nun walked in this room in a full habit, I'd get nervous. It's just like, because I, I, I'm afraid of nuns. Nuns with habits. Like, <laughs> get away. Uh, 
And it's weird. This is a weird fact. Nuns don't like me. I don't know what it is. Even the, the, I taught a class at Bethel one time for, old, for senior citizens, and everyone there loved the class except for this one lady. And the, the last day of class, and she, all the class long, she was just not liking me and ornery. It turns out she was a nun. I was like, well, of course. There's a radar issue here. Not every nun, but most of the nuns. Well, I don't know what that's about. But the main thing I got, my attitude towards authorities growing up was that authorities are always mad at me. That was my experience. And looking back at it, I can now understand how it weren't. I, I, I found out 15 years ago I have ADHD. And, and, and they tend to irritate authorities. Uh, and think about this. Okay, I had to go to Catholic school, and we had mass every morning. And this is, well, Vatican II was just taking place, but we still said the, the mass in Latin. So you have an ADHD kid going to a mass in Latin. How's that going to work, you think? It's, it's, it's torture when I can understand them. When I can't understand them, I'm, you know, well, you can imagine. So, so I'm always in trouble. The authorities are always mad at me. Uh, that's just what they do. And, 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 and my view of authorities was that they can be cruel and they can be capricious. I've shared before about how my stepmother, when she would get angry, she would just kind of go nuts and she would come up with bizarre and, and, and cruel uh, ways of punishing you. Uh, but because I had ADHD, I often didn't connect the dots between the punishment and what I did. And that's a common trait for kids with ADHD. And so I all often was in, was in trouble being punished, but I didn't know why. Which meant I experienced it being, it's just random, sort of capricious. And I've shared before how the nuns would give the girls, the, the little goody-goody-two-shoe girls, these family, this family Bible, and they had unquestioned permission to hit me over the head uh, if I was ever acting out. Uh, and they didn't have to ask for, for permission for this. Uh, and no one gauged how, was there to restrict how hard they would hit. And sometimes I would almost pass out. And that's one of the reasons why I got a bad back and bad neck, is that for two years had my body compressed with this Bible. But it could happen any time. And so my view of the world, honestly, was it was a scary word. I'm not safe here. Uh, those who are supposed to protect you can turn against you on a dime. Uh, and you never see it coming. And so, so the world's not safe. And most importantly, I felt like I was always on my own. Uh, I, there's no, I, I'm on my own. I got to survive here. So guess what? Uh, I built up huge protection walls. I'm an avoidant, I will confess. I'm an avoidant. And I had to work through a lot of that. A lot of walls, a lot of walls. But it's how you survive, right? What else are you going to do? You got to survive one way or another. But the bottom line is, I didn't like God. Uh, if that's your view of God, what's there to like? No, I, I love Mary, uh, but not, not, not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I always felt like they're mad at me. And all the pictures that we had in this Catholic school, of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and even most of the saints, um, they, were, they, were, they were at best austere. Some of them were just angry. None of them seemed happy or friendly. But Mary, there's a statue of Mary in the front of this cathedral that we always had to go to, and, and she was so beautiful and so serene, looking down at the baby Jesus and just adoring this baby Jesus. And, 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 and the nuns always said that if you want to talk, you know, a good Jewish boy listens to his mother, so if you want to get to the son, you talk to the mother. And that's the only one I wanted to talk to. That's the only friend I have in heaven. That's the only chance I have of not going to hell, which I learned about in second grade and had nightmares for two years because uh, I, I was sure I was going to go there. That's what, that's what happens to bad kids like me. So I would talk to Mary. Mary, will you put in a good word for me? I'm trying my best. I sounded a lot like that prayer that we listened to. Please, I'm trying. I'll, I'll, I'll do better. Put a good word in for me. And now looking back on it, see, I, can, I know what was going on there. I had hooks. I had hooks looking for a mom. I talked about this last year in a sermon called Where's Mommy? But I, I, I was longing. I was longing for, for, for a loop. Like, can I bond with you? Can, is there anyone in heaven I can bond with? And I'll tell you this, that 
You know, God goes to any extreme to meet us where we're at, and, and to that little kid there living in that scary world, I sometimes felt God's love through Mary. I, I, there's a warmth that came on me, or an assurance, a kind of a peace. And, and, and God used that, I think, to help a kid out when he was in a very scared and painful sort of situation. But I did, I, 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 I didn't like God because I, didn't, I, didn't like, I had an ugly picture of God. See, that's how it always is. Um, your, your, your emotional attachment to God will be a direct reflection of what your picture of God is. Whether or not your, your need, the needs that you have in your life, whether or not those are going to find loops, it depends on your mental picture of God. In fact, the, the emotions that you have towards God are simply the emotional component of your picture of God. The two go hand in hand. And so um, you find me a picture who's got a, a Christian who feels blah towards God. I'll show you a Christian who's got a blah picture of God. Show me a Christian who's fearful. I'll show you a person who's got a fearful picture of God. Your, the beauty of your relationship with God will never outrun the beauty of your mental conception of God, which means you can't possibly see God as being too beautiful. <laughs> you can't. And, and the beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of your mental conception of God because we always tend to take on the image of the God that we're worshiping. Everything hangs on our mental conception of God. That's why Jesus says, you know, the bond with the Father is the highest priority. That makes this message the most important message because this is the linchpin for the whole system. Everything hangs on this. What is our bonding with God? Um, do we have, in fact, a lovable picture of God? I didn't start to like God until I started to get a likable picture of God. And that's, why, that's why we preach here all the time, all the time. And I don't, I'm not embarrassed by this because it, it, everything hangs on this. When it comes to thinking about God, make sure that everything you think about God is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, he, it, it's all in him. It's all in him. Don't have a montage picture of God. Uh, a little bit based on Jesus, but a little bit based on this verse, a little bit based on that song or something you heard from a preacher or whatever. No, no. Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. Why then do you ask shows the Father? Don't look anywhere else but me, he's saying, to know what the Father's like. Uh, he's not one revelation among many revelations in the Bible. He is the revelation to which all other revelations point. He's the revelation that culminates and supersedes all previous revelations. That's why you could say, if you see me, you, say the, you, you see the Father. That couldn't be said before, before the, before the sun, sun came. So all of our conception of God is going to be, be anchored on Jesus. Now, if you've been here for, for a month, you've heard me say that before. If you've been here a year, you've heard me say that at least three times before. If you've been here 10 years, I've probably said it 30, 300 times. I don't know. But here's the thing. You can know something, but you don't know it, right? You can know something, but you don't know it. It's one thing to know it as information, but has it reached to the core of your being? You have it as an idea, but is it an experienced reality? That's the question. Um, have you integrated it into the deepest part? Of you. Yes, you know that God is revealed in Jesus. God's revealed on the cross. That, that, that God's altogether beautiful. You know that. That's great information. But has it integrated into the depth of your soul? Has it gotten down to the place where, where, where your worldview was formed before the age of five? That core part of you that maybe mistrust instinctively or is anxious instinctively or protective instinctively? Because it won't transform anything until it gets down there. Have you integrated it into all those memories that have gone into shaping who you experience yourself as being today? That's the question. You can know something intellectually, but not know it experientially. And see, here's the thing. Information itself never transforms. Reading a book will never transform you unless something else happens. The information's got to transition to something else, and the something else is an experience where you experience something different. 
Experience changes us for the better or for worse. It was your experience of a lack of care growing up that made you either anxious or avoidant. And it's going to be counter-experiences that reverse that now and begin to make you a more secure person. That's why it's very good. In fact, it's essential, absolutely essential, to have people around you, if at all possible, have people around you who are providing the kind of love that maybe you didn't get as a kid. Uh, you ha- your hooks are finally finding love in people and that you're worth loving. You're getting that in people. And there are people who are committed to you and are attentive to you and responsive to you and are empowering you. And that does a whole lot to reverse all those messages we got growing up and to make us whole people. That's absolutely essential. But there are hooks that you were born with that only God can loop. Only God can loop. And that's by God's design. And the parent's job was to model God for you, but then to turn you over to your heavenly parent, who now, now you, you have the bonding. The Velcro is happening. You're getting, and in God's design, he wants, he wants a Velcro that is unrippable. He wants a Velcro that nothing on earth can possibly remove. He wants to be so boundly tight with you that neither height nor depth, nor principalities nor powers, neither things present nor things to come, neither famine nor pearl nor sword, nothing but nothing but nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the kind of Velcro God wants with us. Deep, deep bonding, deep bonding, deep bonding. But we carry the baggage into our relationship and it can screw everything up if we're not careful and to filter that out. Information doesn't lead to transformation. But the experience, the question is, do you experience your worth before God? Do you experience the beauty of God? Do you experience God's love for you? Does that reach down into the core of your being? Now, people throughout the Bible have experienced God's, God in a lot of different ways. There's no one right way to do it. In fact, I encourage people to be always exploring different ways. I read books on spirituality, how people connect with God, and, and try different things. If you've never, you know, tried to connect God in nature, God with nature, go out in nature and try to connect with God. Experiment with it. Because if you're doing the same, same thing all the time, well, it's like, it's like when you're married. Uh, if, if you guys, if you always do the exact same thing, it gets kind of boring and it gets kind of stale, right? You become roommates, the fire gets extinguished, no romance, no, yeah, that's not very fun. You know, you, you got to shake it up a little bit. You got to try new things. You got to do different things. Go on a trip, whatever. Mix it up. Keep it fresh. It's an adventure. And so it is with our relationship with God. I encourage us to treat it like an adventure. Experiment with different things. Uh, see what works. Connect with it. So there's a lot of different ways of connecting with God. But one dominant way in the church tradition, and it's anchored in Scripture, has to do with our use of imagination. Here's another thing I talk quite a bit about here because it's so central. Our imagination. And the church tradition is called cataphatic prayer. Uh, you see it in the Bible where, where people, they, they have visions, they have dreams, they hear words, the Spirit directs them. But if you look at it, all of that takes place in what we today would call our imagination. It's not like God talked audibly. Once in a while God does that, but usually they, a person hears a voice, they're the only ones who hear it. It happens in their imagination. In the church tradition, they call this the inner sanctum because this is the inner sanctuary. And, and it's, it's the God-ordained place where we encounter God in concrete and transformative ways. It's there for that purpose. We can use it for other purposes as well, but God's intended, the most important purpose is this is the means by which we bond with God. Um, the passage that most flushes this out is 2 Corinthians um, chapters 3 and 4. The first part, 3.14 up through 4.6. And I'm not, I'm not going to take the time to read that here, but what Paul says there is this. For unbelievers, he says, they have a veil over their mind. In fact, he says, the God of this age has blinded, the God, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
But when one turns to the Lord, Paul says, that veil over the mind, he's talking about the mind, what we would call our imagination. That veil is removed, and so now we can see something we couldn't see before. And what we can see is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the beauty of God. And then Paul says, as we are set free to see the beauty of God, he says, as we behold his glory, this is verses 14, 15, 16, 17, as we behold his glory, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. So it's what you see that determines what you become. As I said earlier, the beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of your mental conception of God. And Paul here explicitly teaches this. In verse 18, that it's what we see that determines what we, that what we become. As I behold the glory of God, I take on that glory. As I, as I experience his love, I become more loving. As I see his joy over me, I become more joyful. As I experience his peace towards me, I become more peaceful. And all that is God's by, by nature becomes mine by grace as I behold who God is by nature. It, it, it's, it's, this is the linchpin here. It hangs on everything. And so what I want to do for the rest of this message is to, to give us a chance to experience that. Um, to, to just run through, I have a book on this called Seeing is Believing, if you want to go in further about what imaginative prayer is about. But I want to give, as a congregation, just to try this out and, and, and to walk through it. Um, so I want to start with this. Here's the verse that has meant so much to me, uh, Isaiah 49. And I, I'm just setting up for an exercise we're going to do here in about five minutes. It says, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forsaken me. Zion is another word for Israel, God's children. But then the Lord says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Even if she could forget, because human mothers apparently can sometimes, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And your walls, your protections are ever before me. And I think he's saying, your security is always my interest, is always my concern. So here God is depicted as this loving mother. Uh, but better than a, a loving human mother, because human mothers could forget, but this God could never forget. And this God, this mother, has engraved you on the palm of her hands. You're part of her, and your, your, your security, your issues are ever before her. Now, that should, it shouldn't surprise us that God is here compared to a mother because God is, as I've said before, God is just as male as God is female. God is just as female as God is male. Or you could say God is no more male than God is female. But both men and women are equally made in the image of God. So it tells us that God has both feminine and masculine characteristics, all right? And, and though cultures will limit that, and, and, and for cultural reasons, you get mainly the masculine view in, in Scripture, I think it's very healthy to get all of God. And, and the, to, to imagine God as father, imagine God as mother, imagine God as, 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 as male, imagine God as female. I, I think all that is good. So let's try this. Here's my daughter, Alicia. And they just adopted a little girl named Tasha. This is Tasha, uh, two months old. And just look at the love there. Uh, I just noticed there. You just... That little baby is loved. They smother her with love, and she's so adorable. She's so adorable. Now, this Tasha didn't do anything, couldn't do anything to earn that love, achieve this love, merit this love, and, and she wouldn't need to. There's no evaluations. There's no critical thinking. There's no comparisons. There's no evaluations. There's just she is she, and they, Alicia loves her, pours love. Can you imagine God as loving mother and you as Tasha? God adoring you. Now here's the thing, Alicia is a spectacular mother, really, should get an award. But she's fallen, and the love she has for Tasha, well, God's love 
It's beyond that exponentially. Uh, imagine perfect mother loving daughter. And at least she's pretty close to it. But the, the same holds true for father. Uh, here's a picture of Tim, my son-in-law. Best son-in-law a father could ever hope for. And look at the, the, the delight and the joy. That, and and Tisha's just so, you start to laugh now and smile. And it's just so, so utterly adorable. We sometimes so insult God, we don't give him or her the credit that we ourselves pour onto our kids. Can you imagine yourself as a little child, little baby, in the loving arms of your heavenly mother and heavenly father, uh, being loved unconditionally and adorably, secure in the father's love, safe in the mother's love? So I, I'd like us to have this exercise. And, and if, if you want, you can... Or it, it, Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in this. Um, my main walls, my avoidance stuff is, was mainly about mom. And so the motherhood of God has just meant the world to me. I've shared that before. I began to like God and I began to get set free when I heard God speak that verse to me. Greg, I love you like a mom. And I will never leave you or forsake you. I, I've engraved you. You're permanent. You're on here. We got Velcro. You're not going away. And when I began to hear that and, and experience that, you see, that started a revolution in my heart that is bearing fruit to this very day. Get a glimpse of that love. That's what heals us. That's the life we're talking about. That's, that, 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 that's the field that we were meant to, to, to run on, to see that love. And so I, I, I ask the Spirit to lead you. Some folks here maybe have more father issues, and I encourage you then to imagine God like Tim, as perfect heavenly father, or as perfect heavenly mother. And maybe there's some here that God will bring them both together and you have perfect parents. I never want to restrict what the Spirit does. But, 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 but I'd like you to go on this exercise here. I want to invite everybody to do this. Um, if you are nervous because you've never done, you've never used your imagination like this before, uh, intentionally, I encourage you to push past that fear because it's all... If you keep doing the same thing, you'll get the same results. You've got to try something new, and you might just find this is the, this turns the corner for you. I encourage you to press through that fear. Some folks here may be a little nervous because of the intimacy it implies. Uh, and I really want to encourage you to go through with this because here's the thing. The only way, the only way you are going to get healed out of your woundedness is if you let God love you in the midst of your woundedness regardless of how ugly your woundedness looks. Uh, it's the only way. And, and so if, if your fear is your woundedness speaking, if you give into that, you'll stay wounded. Right. Press through that and just bring your woundedness to God. If you're here and you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to go through this exercise. Pretend. If you did believe in God, this is what it would look like. In fact, I dare you to go through this because really, you don't even know what you're not believing in until you try this. At least now you'll know what you're rejecting and you may not want to reject it once you try it. So I encourage you to go through this exercise. I dare you to go through this exercise. I challenge you to. Because God just might surprise you. God might, because you may don't, maybe don't believe it yet, but this is real. We're going to be encountering the real God here. Now, I, I, one last thing. I like to use music when I do this. It's not for everyone, but I, I like to have nice, soft music without lyrics because they'll interfere. Uh, and and if music is a gift from God, the right kind of music anyways, that can melt your heart and open up your mind and open your imagination. It's just a gift. And so, so I, I like to use it. And usually when I, 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 when, I, when I do this, you don't want someone talking at you, but, but I'm going to be talking through this just to kind of lead us and guide us for those who have never done it before, all right? And I hope it's not too much of a distraction. So... Would you close your eyes? 
and try to set aside all concerns, all worries, all other things that could possibly call for your attention. Nothing, nothing matters right now other than this. You are in the st strong, loving hands of your Heavenly Mother and your Heavenly Father. You're being held with such tenderness and such affection and such devotion. You can see it in her eyes. You can see it in his eyes. The love, the sheer joy of your being. A sheer delight in you. Not because you did anything. You can't earn this. You can't merit this. You can't achieve this. You can't beg for it. You don't need to. All you can do is receive it. You are a little baby. Helpless. Utterly, utterly dependent. But utterly, utterly safe. Here, your Heavenly Mother saved you. Could a mother ever forget her beloved child? And even if she could, I could never forget you. And she says your name. I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. I'm in this for the long haul. You're part of me. Your welfare is always my concern. And as you're being held by your Heavenly Father, look up and see the joy in His eyes as He says to you, I am so committed to you. I would do and have done everything, everything possible to have this relationship with you. I'm attentive to your needs and I'll always be responsive to your needs. And I seek to empower you to be all that you can possibly be. You are loved with an everlasting, perfect, unwavering love. Just receive it. Just enjoy mom enjoying you. Love the father loving you. Delight in Abba Father who delights in you. This is the center of everything. And as you're held in those tender, strong hands, nose to nose, cheek to cheek, you are innocent. You are a new creature, a new creation, pure, fresh. To God, you smell like a new baby newborn baby you have a history of sin but look carefully into your mom's eyes look carefully into your father's eyes and see that your sin is no match for her love for his love 
hear your mother say to you, oh, precious, your sin seems so big to you. It's a speck of dust and a pebble at the bottom of Niagara Falls. My love is that tonnage of water that is just pounding down on you, little pebble. And that little speck of dust doesn't stand a chance. Your, your, your love can no more, your, your sin can no more lessen my love than a match could stay lit in the middle of a hurricane. See that love in the eyes of mom that's coming to wash everything away. You are clean. To make you a newborn baby, to give you a fresh new start. Uh, as far as the east is from the west, God has cast your sin from you. Everything that was written against you, everything the enemy had against you, every sin you've ever committed, it was nailed to the cross. And hear your father say to you, it is gone, it is done. You are innocent, you've returned, the love of God returns you to innocence. Receive that love. Ask in it. And know that you are safe. You are safe. I will never, I will never get, uh, that love will never grow old. I'm never used to that. I never want to. Okay, so here's the thing. I close with this. Uh, where there is perfect love, there's no evaluation. There's no, there's, there's, there's no comparisons. There's no measuring. There's his love. All of the comparison, judging, evaluation, critical, all that is the devil's economy. And, and it was blown apart on, on Calvary, praise God. And so in the arms of loving father and loving mother, uh, there's only that love, which means you can be exactly who you are if you trust and that love, look in the eyes. The eyes are the window of the soul. I always find, sometimes that's all I see are the eyes, but it's enough because you can see the love and the joy and the delight there, and that makes it safe. And whatever you bring out, whatever you, whatever's true about you, that's, it's not going to change the eyes. So keep your eyes focused on that. And that makes it free to be totally honest with God. To be totally, totally honest with God. Including the stuff that you know that God doesn't approve of and that God would like you to get rid of, but you're not ready to get rid of it yet. If that's what's true, that's what you bring out. But keep your eyes focused on the eyes. Because it's only as we let God, Father and Mother, lo love us in the midst of our woundedness that we're ever going to get out of our woundedness in a healthy way. Uh, it, it's not based on, on, on anything that you're going to do. You're, the love comes first. And everything else in the kingdom comes as a result of the love. This is the linchpin of the whole thing. And so I want to encourage us. And, and you can maybe be thinking, well, of course you've got to be honest with God. I encourage you to take that seriously. We lie to ourselves all the time. I, do you know that? Uh, and if you don't know that, you're lying to yourself particularly well. <laughs> commit. This is something I did, I've done for a couple of months, where I just commit to telling the truth, regardless of how terrible and unpleasant and embarrassing the truth is. And you can't go a day without 20 times wishing you didn't make that promise. Uh, it is hard. And you realize how, how, you, how, we, how we dance around the truth or shade the truth or stress the truth or downplay it all the time, especially with God. But all healing requires total honesty. 
And honesty is what you can have if you have total safety. And that's what you have in the arms of your Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Just be honest. Just be honest. And let that Niagara Falls of God's love pounce upon that little dust particle on you, little pebble at the bottom of Niagara Falls, and wash it all away. Hallelujah. Make it clean. New start. New creature in Christ Jesus. Your baby fresh. Oh, that's what I should title this sermon. Baby fresh. I actually gave it the title, Return to Innocence. But I didn't want to tell you that up front because you wouldn't even know why until the last three minutes of the sermon. What's the point? So anyways, but I like Baby Fresh better. Would you stand? You guys, make, I encourage you regularly. This was just a, like a, an example. Regularly make time to just bask in the love of your Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. However, whatever you need. And, and, and just spend time enjoying God, enjoying you. Delighting in God, delighting in you. Loving God, loving you. That's the center of the kingdom. That's what you'll be doing throughout all eternity. Get used to it now. And make it as beautiful as possible. And ask the Spirit to keep on augmenting that because you can't possibly comprehend the full love of God. Uh, you'll know that you're getting it when you realize that you'll never get it. Because it goes on for infinity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, come up here and, and, and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, uh, these folks would love to explain to you what it is to become a follower of Jesus. And if you were here this, this, this morning and you're not a believer, but you did the exercise and you became a believer... I want to hear about it, all right? So come on up here and talk to me, because I've heard that happening before. God bless you guys. Go out love on your neighbors.